Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Lucas Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about this episode is The Club Dumas by Arturo Perez Reverte. So um, if you've been listening to recent episodes, we've been kind of uh, going into the past for various reasons. Um, part of it is just um, we haven't really had a book jump out, uh, at least on our radar. If there are exciting books that are coming out right now, they are, they're not um, coming to our attention. So um, we took the opportunity to use that as a reason to go back to a book that uh, we both really enjoyed back in the day, well before we had a podcast. Um, so yeah, Club Dumas, Otero Perez Verte. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the author really quick. Um, he is a Spanish novelist and journalist. He worked as a war correspondent for 21 years between 1973 and 1994. His first novel, El Hussar, set in the Napoleonic Wars, was released in 1986. He's well-known outside Spain for his A la Triste series of novels. He is now a member of the Royal Spanish Academy, a position he has held since 12 June 2003. So the Royal Spanish Academy, I looked really quick on his um, Wikipedia, is like this like organization that the goal is to preserve the Spanish language, apparently. So uh, that's pretty cool. Interesting. I, I'll be honest. I, I, I don't know if that means more in a literary style or I guess I, I wasn't aware that the Spanish language was in some danger. No, it seems pretty. It's probably, I would imagine, top three spoken languages in the world, right? Right. Top yeah. five, I, at least. Yeah. I, I imagine it might be more of the proper use of the language, you know, something along those lines than like a fear that it is going to die out. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, it's a cool thing to be involved in, I guess. All right. Here is the uh, book synopsis. I specify the book synopsis because if you've seen The Ninth Gate and somehow that brought you here, this might sound a little different. Lucas Corso is a book detective, a middle-aged mercenary hired to hunt down rare editions for wealthy and unscrupulous clients. When a well-known bibliophile is found dead, leaving behind part of the original manuscript of Alexandre Dumas's The Three Musketeers, Corso is brought in to authenticate the fragment. He is soon drawn into a swirling plot involving devil worship, occult practices, and swashbuckling daring do among a cast of characters bearing a suspicious resemblance to those of Dumas's masterpiece. Aided by a mysterious beauty named for a Conan Doyle heroine, Corso travels from Madrid to Toledo to Paris on the killer's trail in this twisty intellectual romp through the book world. I do want to clarify, because for some people that might sound a little weird, none of this takes place in Ohio. <laughs> All right, that's that's good. Um, I, I was thinking that as I was reading the book, too. Whenever Toledo came up, I was like, wait a minute, this has to be, this can't be in my na in a neighboring state. <laughs> I have never been, but I can't imagine that a tale that's so heavily entrenched in literature would have any fucking reason to go to Ohio. Nope, nope. It's um, I, I think it's um, actually like uh, a, a statistical impossibility that that would be the case. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, as Rob mentioned, we've both read this book before. We have both seen the movie at least twice. Um, so there, there will likely be some discussion about this and the movie, um, or about the movie later after after the review. But uh, for now, 
I guess we'll uh, we'll kind of get right into it, right? Is there anything else we need to talk about before we jump into plot on this bad boy? No, I am dying to talk about because, like, especially since it's been a long time since I've read this book and I'd probably seen the movie more recently that it was, you know, that was inspired by this book. Um, it's great to get back into the story because I think that seeing the movie diluted my memory of the book. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. All right. Um, one other note before we get into this. Uh, this came out in 2006. The movie, I'm not going to look it up, probably around 2008, 2009 maybe. So both of them have been around long enough that uh, we're not going to concern ourselves terribly with spoilers. We won't purposely try to ruin it for you. But if we slip up a little bit, uh, you know, you'll uh, you'll understand why, we hope. So the the I almost said the movie because I've got that movie on the brain. <clears throat> the book kicks off. Um, at, a, at a potentially a crime scene, at least a, uh, a, a alleged suicide scene. And a, uh, as it says in the bio, um, a, a man who deals in um, rare books is found hanging via his own um, robe, robe belt. What would that be called? Rope strap? Rope yeah, belt? the belt of know. a robe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we're, we're introduced in a, into, into a pretty dire um, circumstance where this man uh, is found hanging. And then we're very quickly introduced to our protagonist, Lucas Corso, as he uh, has been tasked with uh, authenticating a manuscript, which is exactly one chapter, um, handwritten with notes from Alexandre Dumas and the gentleman who collaborated with him on that book. So the chapter in question is Andrew Wine. Right. So um, essentially, uh, we discover early on kind of like the setup after that little prologue um, suicide situation. We discover what's going on is um, this bookseller friend of Corso's has um, asked him to authenticate this original manuscript chapter of the Three Musketeers, like Livia said. Um, and so he approaches um, some people to uh, kind of get the ball rolling on, on, in, on investigating it. He's talking to a character named Boris Balkan uh, to uh, try and authenticate the piece. And during the conversation, he's kind of referred in another direction. And not long after that, we're also introduced to Flavio Laponte, which is a the bookseller friend who owns this, uh, this chapter of The Three Musketeers. And... Um, in the beginning, it's nice because it's just kind of establishing the the characters and how they interact in their friendship. And then, but along the way, one of the things that I really liked was how, in their kind of casual discussion about uh, Alexander Dumas and uh, the Three Musketeers and other works, uh, a lot of opinions come out about Dumas as a person, um, about the kind of genre that he wrote in, about whether he was you know, an independent writer or like it obviously, you know, they talk a lot about his collaborators and stuff and, and how much of his stuff was original. So there's a lot of conjecture and it's obvious that like at the, at the very front, at the very beginning of the book, you realize that like the, the book, the three Musketeers obviously is going to be a big part, but as the title implies, like Dumas himself, um, figures, heavily into like the plot of the story from like his life and his writings. Yeah, there is, um, this is something I was going to mention later, but this does serve as like a mini 
biography for Dumas. I mean, told completely out of order, you know, as things need to come up in, in the story about his work. But um, one of the things, so I read some reviews and um, a lot of the critical reviews criticized the amount of Dumas history that was in there or said things like there, there's one that said, oh, you should really spend a lot of time familiarizing yourself with Dumas before you read this. And I'm thinking, God damn it, if at any point in order to read one book, I have to read like three or four others first, I'm probably going to pass. Yeah, um, I didn't think that was the case. And I don't remember. So you're the perfect person to ask, right? So I had read The Three Musketeers when I was a teenager. I have very little recollection of it. We reviewed it here, I don't know, a year and a half ago maybe now. Um, do you remember being bothered by that the first time around before you had read any of Dumas's stuff? No, um, no, I don't think that there's a barrier to entry where you need to be like a scholar of Dumas in order to appreciate this book. Yeah, not at all. So uh, jumping back into the plot, um, one of the reasons that uh, Corso could take this project on um, inexpensively for his friend is that he is uh, being approached by another person, Avaro Borja, who also has a, a sort of authentication job of sorts for him to do. So Varro is very much into books uh, that involve the occult and you know devil worship and treaties on the devil and, and, and things like that. Um, he has acquired a very, very rare book called The Book of Nine Doors of the Kingdom of Shadows. Um, and it is believed that there are three uh, copies left in existence. And he has acquired one of the three. And he has tasked Corso with going and comparing them and perhaps um, even acquiring the other two copies. So the, the kind of big deal about this book, it was written in 1666. Um, allegedly, the, the the prints that are in it, the, the woodcuts that were used to, to make the printings of the book, were uh, made by Lucifer himself. And it is believed that this book um, can give you the power or gives you the directions on how to summon the devil himself. Yep. So that's the setup. Corso has to independently authenticate the Three Musketeers chapter, and then also separately um, investigate this book of the Nine Doors of the Kingdom of Shadows. Um, serendipitously, the person that he needs to see about the Anjou Wine chapter uh, of the Three Musketeers is in the same place as one of the copies of this book that he needs to, to look at is. So he... Um, he tells his friend Flavio he's going to research the Anjou wine, uh, the authenticity of it, um, gratis, because he's kind of going there anyway. And this uh, Borgia guy has kind of like an open checkbook, no expenses too much. He's he's very um, driven to get what he wants and um, sparing no expense. So that kind of sets him off on his adventure. Um but there are some other characters as well, I think, that it bears mentioning at the beginning of the book. We saw the suicide of Enrique Telfer. That was that prologue thing. His surviving widow is Liana, who um, plays into the book as well. Yeah, she's, uh, from pretty early on, we're, we're able to determine that uh, she may have not been the most loving wife, um, but she suddenly becomes becomes very interested in the Anjou wine as well. And uh, I mean, this is really where things for Corso go downhill because he's got this uh, Liana 
um, who's very interested in reobtaining this uh, chapter from the Three Musketeers. There's a character who, um, uh, you know, for, for the sake of the book, is named Rashafort. Rashafort, I, I don't know how you'd say that. I'm not French enough. Um, who is a who is actually you know kind of named um, after a character in the Three Musketeers, and I think some of that you know becomes pretty clear through the synopsis that there are people involved who bear striking resemblances to um, other literary characters. And uh, finally, a little bit later on in the book, we're introduced to Irene Adler. For anybody who sounds very familiar uh, to you, may have watched um, Sherlock or uh, you know any of the other <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle adaptations. Um, again, somebody who appears in uh, in Corso's life that is uh, named after a character in literary. Yeah, and at this point, so this is one of those things. There are multiple threads to a plot happening uh, now, and we've kind of told you what the general interests were and who the players were. But like, as Corso's journey begins, um, his adventure to do the work that he was hired for, um, you've got interested parties that have different... Um, motivations so some people uh, are trying to get um this chapter of three musketeers away from corso it, it appears um it seems like there's similarly some intrigue around the book of the nine doors of the kingdom of shadows and so as he gets deeper into his role of what he has to do for the people that hired him things get stranger and more dangerous and, and more suspicious. Um, Irene Adler, the character also referred to as the girl in the book that, that Livius mentioned. Um, uh, it's really unsure at the beginning what she's doing there because she's, she's a really vague character who just kind of seems to show up in, in, in times where Corso needs some help or direction or just as a person who's observing, um, but then there's like the, the other characters who are, are, are seem to be working against him are Telfer and the Rushfort character. Um, so, and then Flavio is just his, his buddy he's working for. And then Balkan and, and Borgia are, are in the background influencing from afar, but it seems like the main conflict, at least in the beginning, as things start to unfold is, Corso versus um, Telfer and the Rochefort character with this girl just kind of enigmatically appearing from time to time. Indeed. We touched on it a little bit before, but um, literature is the other character in this, right? So we have these two parallel stories running, um, one around the, the Nine Doors book, one around the Angie Wine chapter. Um, but we're introduced to some other characters, and none of them are major characters in the book. But I, I really like the fact that every time he introduces one of these characters, we learn a little bit about literature, people's motivations around it. So the the first um, group, that and, and probably my favorite um, in the book, are uh, two twin brothers who restore um, and repair old books. But they might also counterfeit old books, and the chapter with them is is absolutely one of my favorite things in this book. Yeah. And um, that brings me back around to uh, just how much there is a discussion about literature and books in general, like the Seniza brothers that Livius is referring to do a wonderful job of talking about um, antique books or old books um, 
and also how much energy and what a costly endeavor it is to do forgeries so there's a there's a great conversation around that but practically the entire time characters interact there's always either discussion about authors about literature or um like with the Siniza brothers specifically like the actual process of bookmaking and I'll agree with Livius that whole conversation was was totally fantastic so if you're the type of person who likes to have um like a like a a heavy presence of of talk about books and authors um in general this is this is going to be just total catnip for you Um, and then there are a couple other collectors and kind of the same thing. You kind of get to look at different angles on, on what makes books important to people. And, and look, the story, the story in this book is a detective story. You know, somebody has set out on two separate, you know, uh, missions to, to figure something out. I think if you took out all of the literary devices um, that are put throughout this book. So the the biography of Dumas, the kind of history of book binding, um, the reason people collect and their love for it. I think you have a, a slightly less quality book, although the story itself wouldn't change very much. Does it make sense how I'm saying that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd agree, yeah. Um, that being said, this is probably where, where we'll get into when we talk more about the movie on, on <laughs> Some of the reasons why some people aren't uh, big fans uh, of the movie. Um, other than that, I don't know that there's a whole lot else to talk about. I mean, the plot unfolds as plots unfold, and you know, we're brought to a conclusion eventually. <laughs> He's not wrong that it absolutely happens. Um, yeah, I, I would say beyond that, like the general trajectory is, um, it, it, it's it's. I'll agree. There's a very heavy de- detective thing. Um, uh, but there's like that there's a general tone of like dark forces working against the protagonist um but and and he has to figure out the detective part is he has to figure out what's going on and why but also kind of still do his job um so there's you know there's a the whole idea of he's got a book that's supposed to be able to you know raise the devil basically but also um that kind of uh, intrigue around the the three musketeers. So, um, what I will say is, it it is a well paced and compelling story that keeps driving you forward. There, it's kind of dense. Like I feel like, you know, it does read. It's pretty heavy to read, but there's always something going on, and um, I feel like it threads pretty well together the different plot stuff. Um, but yeah, just super interesting. I'd say that the like the literary focus stuff does end up being the stuff that carries you through the story more than like the, the action of the book, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do want to mention there is a little bit of a, um, maybe not so much the way I was going to put this, like a Dan Brown element to all of this. And that is the, the book of the nine, the nine doors. Um, although it is a fictional book that it's based on, there is a mystery like inside these three copies, um, that, that, you know, is something that's enjoyable to unravel. So it's not, you know, there's, there's him trying to authenticate it, but then there's things within the book itself that play a role 
in that in that process, that authentication, and in the story in general, which was done really well, I think. Yep, and um, like just kind of a general feel of like a historical fiction type of thing because it does look back on um, historical literature, and then also like <laughs> we haven't mentioned this yet, and I didn't really think about it too much uh, in previous readings, but Lucas Corso has a real uh, fascination with um, the Napoleonic War. Yeah. Uh, wars and um like the he's very pro napoleon and so there's there's filtered throughout is just um real deep kind of dives into specific battles from napoleonic wars so that was an interesting touch it was um <laughs> an interesting bit of um characterization for for the main character which I don't know if it really, it didn't really, I don't think had any real impact on the overall story, but uh, again, more of that kind of historic uh, vibe, if that's the type of thing that you're into. All right. Anything else we want to say about this one before we go into wrap up? Not, no, but I think that, so it might seem that we're not talking a ton about this book, but I feel like once we introduce the discussion about the movie, we're going to talk more. And so I have no problem going into wrap-ups because I feel like the, the, the discussion about the story isn't over. It's just, it's going to be uh, in contrast to the movie that, that some stuff comes out. Do you want to go? I will go. Um, I love this book the first time I read it. Um, and and I, uh, that has not changed um, at all, despite two viewings of the movie. Um, I, I, there are some books there are a number of books that I think are almost important for people to read if they really love literature. Um, we've covered, um, I, I'm sure we've covered a couple um, here on, on the show. The Starless Sea is, uh, is one that we talked about um, a lot that I think is important for people who love stories and love literature to read. If on a Winter's Night, A Traveler is another one that comes to mind um, for sure. The Shadow of the Wind, um, these are books that are about stories and, and that really, if you love stories, I think that you'll be endeared to these books. And this is definitely one of them, probably the weirdest of the ones I mentioned. This would be kind of the like low rent version of books for people who love literature. Um, it's a little more um, cloak and dagger, a little more mystery than, than the other ones, but, um, it's, it, it's beautifully done. Uh, the, the, the commingling of, um, a fictional book that summons the devil, uh, alongside the works of Alexandre Dumas, um, you know, tied into this mystery, uh, along with all these characters who, um, every character actually in this book, literally every named character in this book, loves books um but they all you know are coming with a with a different motivation um so uh, all around um it, it does read a little longer than it's 300 i think it's 70 page listing on amazon it does feel a little longer than that um but that's all i can say if you if you love books if you love stories i, I definitely recommend you pick this one up my uh, overall rating for this one came out to an 8.88 All right. Um, I'm going to echo that one sentiment. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about, and I, and I, and I haven't looked, I'm sure there's lists out there. Um, but I was thinking about compiling kind of my own list of like books for book lovers. And this was one of the obvious ones, um, on the, on the topic of the low rentness of it, I think it also makes it an easier 
like entry point for some people who aren't like heavy literature people, but like have that book love kind of thing going on. Um, but here's what I'll say about the book in general. Um, when I, when I originally read it and I was recommending it to people, I called it like, like if Dan Brown wrote a really good book <laughs> instead of the books he writes. Um, cause it's got that historical fiction kind of thing going on. Um, and it has kind of an action kind of intrigue suspense novel thing going on too. Um, but, uh, you know, the big draw for me is the fact that it, it makes books mysterious and magical and special. And that always win, wins points with me. Other points are just for the fact that like, it is really strongly plotted. It's a very well plotted book. Um, I believe the characters are developed very well. So like, if you break it down into the individual pieces that we usually judge off of, like I gave it nines for almost everything. I, I can't find kind of a weak part of the book in general. Um, the story's good and the way that everything kind of plays out in the end is very satisfying. So structurally it's a great book. Um, it plays on that book lover part of me and um, something that uh, I didn't mention yet. I don't think we mentioned yet is that this was originally written in Spanish and translated. So this was written not in this language originally, and it was translated to English, like obviously the, the edition that we read. So um, there's always that, I guess, I don't know firsthand about doing translations, but I have to imagine that there's the concern that the intention of the story could get lost in the translation. And I feel like um, it's, it's very unlikely that that was the case with this book because um, it's a really strong story and um, just really well put together and all of the parts of it are well fortified and work well. So um, overall, I gave this really high marks. I think the pace was the one that I gave the lowest marks for. And just because, like I said before, it's a dense story. So uh, at points, um, it doesn't go super fast. And if you're into just a quick read, that might frustrate you a little bit. But that is not a, that's not a downside to the book. It's just that it does get kind of dense at times. So all that being said, I gave this 9 out of 10. And if you average out mine and Livius's scores... 8.9375 out of 10. That is a pretty respectable score. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's the thing. When we pick the, like, the big ones that we you know, have enjoyed in the past to review, we know it's not going to score poorly unless like we just really loved a shitty book and then changed over the years. So not a big surprise. But yeah, that's a, that's a pretty solid score. All right. You are fresh off of a rewatch of The Ninth Gate. So um, I'm going to let you start this conversation. Um, for you, it's a, it's a little more recent than for me. Yeah, I did watch it today. And here's the thing. So over the years, I think we've even talked about The Ninth Gate um, once before on the podcast on one of our Halloween episodes when we watched Rosemary's Baby. I think we, already, we also watched Ninth Gate and talked about it. I don't – I'm pretty sure that's the case. Anyway, I definitely saw the movie before reading the book. And I, I liked the movie when I originally saw it. And then I read the book on Livius's recommendation. He's like, yeah, they made this movie about it, but this is a great book. And then I read it. And so I kind of had these like parallel uh, appreciations. Obviously, I liked the book more than the movie, but I still liked the movie. And a lot of people don't. 
Um, I will acknowledge it is directed by Roman Polanski, who is crazy rapist. So that's not good. Um, but I, I do enjoy the movie. And for the longest time, I had seen the movie more than reading the book. And so it's nice to kind of get back to like a, a, a present day contrast of the two. Um, because even on Perez Reverte's Wikipedia page, when it's listed as a movie that's that's a, an adaptation of one of his books, it says very loosely based on the Club Dumas. Um, and when you look at it, it basically takes the skeleton of the story and strips out all of the Three Musketeers Dumas stuff and just does it all about the um, Nine Doors of the Kingdom of Shadows and just takes that one storyline and, and makes it that. Um, so in a way, it's like a stripped down version, even though it's like almost two and a half hours long, which is kind of crazy. Um, it makes sense. I, I guess I didn't know that you had seen it, the movie before reading the book. Um, Cause yeah. I was wondering to myself, would I feel differently about that movie if I didn't have the source material um, like really fresh on my mind? I, I, it was probably a year between the two and I'd really liked the book a lot. So I looked forward to the movie quite a bit and that, that didn't work out in my, in my favor. Um, I do think you're right. We did talk about this um, on a Halloween episode some time ago, which would explain why I watched it again. I was trying to think to myself before we were, ta- we were talking before the podcast, yeah. I, was like, I must have stumbled across it or something. <laughs> I don't know. But because why would I watch this movie again? Um, here's what I will say upon reading this. It is more true to the book than I remember it being. And I want to elaborate a little bit on what Rob said. It's not so much that they took the skeleton. We talked a lot during the interview about one of the great things were these two parallels of the um, Anjouine chapter and the, the, the Book of Nine Doors. They just eliminated any reference to anything to do with Dumas. So it, it's not, I wouldn't even say that, you know, they kept the skeleton of the story. They just removed one part of the story that for me was, was very interesting in the book. And they completely took that out. So everything we talked about, if you're not familiar with the book or the movie, the book spends nearly equal time on those two plots. And the Ninth Gate eliminates one of those plots 100% and then takes some liberties too later on <laughs> into the <laughs> yeah. movie. And, and, and not in the best way, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it is more true to it than I remember thinking it was. But it's just that this one main component is completely removed. Yeah. And I mean, I'll agree. And it makes it an effective story. Um, But I think at the same time, it takes away a lot of the interest of it. Like um, there's there's a a mystery, not a mystery, uh, like a like you have to solve you have to solve what's going on you have to figure out what's going on in the book whereas in the movie it's pretty straightforward you know who the actors are you know what their motivations are it's just a matter of how it all ends up so that's a really big change between the two there's no detective aspect to the movie it's just a matter of how it all fits together at the end so um it is stripped down in that sense and it takes away some of the like the real spirit of the book is um like Corso figuring it all out and Corso um yeah what 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 happens when he's trying to piece together what the hell is going on and who are the players I think the casting in the movie was pretty good I seem to remember yeah. thinking that I wasn't unhappy with, with the casting I do want to mention this because you did bring up crazed rapist Roman Polanski 
I was on a website, um, uh, 10 Things You Didn't Know About the Ninth Gate or some such craziness. And there is a scene, and you might remember this, um, uh, the, the, the girl, I don't even, does she have a name in the movie? Uh, no, know she's she just the yeah. girl, yeah. So uh, through the course of the book, the, the girl is reading The Three Musketeers, not surprising, I guess, due to the source material. Um, but since every Dumas reference is erased from the movie, apparently she's reading How to Win Friends and Influence People in this yeah. <laughs> in this movie. Okay. Yep. I found the page. Um, the mystery girl reads the book How to Make Friends and Influence People, a tome also used by Charles Manson, who orchestrated the tragic killing of Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate. So that's his depiction of the devil? I... I... I I guess. No, I guess that might be a spoiler, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I just thought, so, okay. So first of all, like I get it as that reference, but also if this is like a well-known enough fact that people would put it in a trivia thing, you would just think it's in poor taste. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I, I mean, you know, I, I believe the validity of, of what this piece of trivia is telling us. I just question his judgment and, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, that that part just comes down to who cares. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not well, an interesting. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I it was just something <laughs> that jumped out at me. I'm like, so this is a book that was, you know, whatever, you know, loudly heralded by the guy who orchestrated your wife's death, and here you are presenting it in a in a film. I, I don't know. It just did straight. Right. It rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's much else to say about the movie. Uh, I I feel like. Um, it does have a very similar, um, what it does accomplish that I think is good is it makes books important and makes them mysterious. It talks about how like some books are dangerous. Some books have, uh, power and, um, it does, it, it empowers the idea of, of books being important and special and necessary, which, um, obviously that's what this whole story is kind of about, but, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that the the movie got that across too, and didn't just make it some seedy thing. I will say, uh, as far as the cast, going back to the casting really quick, the woman who played the girl, it it, it was at the time. I don't know if she still is Roman Polanski's wife. Um, so he definitely had his wife in one of the main roles, and then also had her naked at the end. So, um good for him but she had like the good green eyes and that was like one of the focal points of the character was the green eyes so uh i think the casting from like a visual perspective was very good but there might have been a little nepotism going on all right and without giving away too much just give me some thoughts on that ending you can't possibly have liked the ending of the movie so the ending of the movie uh is weird um i'm trying to think of like here's what I like about the end of the movie. I like that the Seniza brothers doing the forgery played a part in the plot because they were such benign, lovable characters. So the fact that like, um, their forgery threw a wrench in the plans of like, you know, Boris Balkan, um, I, I thought was great. And, and obviously, you know, um, not, really deviating from the main main story in the book 
Um, but it got weird and the the movie was too long for sure. Like it definitely dragged on in points where it could have just been tightened up. Um, but like that after everything that went on and how like kind of over, not over the top, but more actiony it got at the end, the actual end, the final part of it was really anticlimactic because it's like, he finally just like gets the answer handed to him and walks toward a building and then it fades to black. So yeah, it was a little anticlimactic. I remember thinking cheesy too, but I don't, that's like I said, a memory from two years ago or, or whatever. I remember thinking like, Oh my God, this is totally cheesy and horrible. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, yeah. and you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I didn't remember that from the movie about the brother's involvement um, Yep. in the book. And again, I know we're not saying a whole lot here, but it's like a throwaway line in the book, which, yeah. you know, I remembered it from the original story. Um, but I really felt like, the first time I read it, like it was a bigger deal. Yeah, it was kind of just folded into a paragraph of kind of explaining mm-hmm. how how stuff went down. Almost, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, any rate, yeah. um, I have read a number of Riverte's books, probably four or five, and uh, and really enjoyed. Um, I, I enjoyed all of them. Um, I, I I was unable to get on board with the Alatriste novels. I read the first one, and I just didn't feel like it did a whole lot for me. I don't know if that would be worth revisiting. It was kind of Three Musketeerish, wasn't it? If I remember correctly. Yeah, he's a captain in an army, and there's all this intrigue and and stuff going on. And I think it takes place during a specific Spanish war or a Spanish wartime. So yeah, it's got that like that type of swashbuckly kind of stuff going on. Yeah, maybe that's something I, I should revisit. Maybe I was just in a bad mood the day I read that. But um, I've liked everything else I've read from him. So I, I would say if you want to check out, uh, you know, what, what is likely one of Spain's finest writers. I don't know that for a fact, but at least um, likely the best known one here in the States. Um, definitely check out some of his work. Fencing Master was really good, too. Yeah, I'm looking at a list right now, uh, just kind of recounting the ones that I have read. Um in no particular order, I did read The Fencing Master, and it's fantastic. It is, um, yeah, just really well written. Uh, Flanders Panel actually is one of the better ones, and that's got more of that um, Dan Brown-type flavor, if Dan Brown wasn't mm-hmm. a bad author. Um, <laughs> obviously, we like the Club Dumas. We mentioned that. Um, I read The Seville Communion, or The Sevier Communion, however you want to say Um that word and that one's interesting because it has to do with um uh hackers and like ancient biblical text or ancient art or something i don't remember exactly i read a long time ago so that one's really good um and then i read i think the first four alatrice novels and that's one where it's just for me since i'm not from spain and i don't you know know a lot about like the history of war in spain like it didn't like hook into me as much as these other ones but like these the one-offs that i just mentioned if you're going to start reading perez verte um and you don't start with club dumas absolutely fencing master flanders panel flanders panel or the seville communion are stand out really really good really good books yep um i i still think that carlos ruiz Zapan better better spanish author that's the tricky thing, because like Livius introduced me to Arturo Perez Verte with um, the Club Dumas, and I was like, "Wow, this is a really great author," um, and he's the only one I'd ever really read where it was like, 
uh, translated like Spanish author who did historical fiction. And then my uncle gave me the shadow of the wind, like probably five years after that. And I read that and I was like, Whoa, this is like, this is another level. And I think that like, to be fair, they're not trying to do the same thing. And one's just better than the other. I think they're like on their own paths. Um, but Zephon just, just kills it. The man is just a literary giant. Um, I, I did look up famous Spanish authors, and, and I probably stand corrected a little bit, although I haven't read any of his works. Gabriel Garcia Marquez is yeah. a pretty big deal. I, I'm not familiar with his work, so I can't say that from a personal level, but I would imagine that he's uh, probably the top well-known Spanish author in the right. United States. Yep. All right, we talked about a book. We talked about a movie. I don't know if we have much else to talk about. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an internet, I'm a social media phenomenon now. To be. Oh, this is yeah. <laughs> all right. I guess I, I thought I'd get us off this episode without having to relive this, but uh, I, do do share with, <laughs> do share with the <laughs> listeners. This is actually really cool. So I don't remember. Did we talk about my reels in other episodes already, or no? I don't think so. I feel like you and I talked about it right after we recorded our last episode. All right. So for anybody who's who's not aware. Um, Instagram introduced recently a new feature called Reels, which is basically like their answer to TikTok. Um, it's the exact same functionality, uh, and it and essentially like especially right now, anybody who's big on TikTok just like copy pastes their TikToks into the Reels function on Instagram. Um, and so like if you're flipping through those, it gets and Livius probably has fallen down this rabbit hole a couple of times. It gets to be where you're like, Oh my God, for I've been doing this for an hour where I'll just watch these like 10 to 30 second videos of people just doing weird shit. Like, um, the thing I get a lot, I don't know if you see these Livius when you're scrolling through reels, if you're scrolling through reels where, uh, the thing I get a lot is there's these people who have these little talk buttons that they have on their floor. So their dogs can step on them like and communicate. Have you seen this? I, I, I have not seen a lot of those. I did see one and I thought it was adorable. The lady tells her dog, I, I love you. The dog's eating and the dog turns around, walks over this button and puts this little paw on a little thing that says, I love you back to her. Yep. Yeah. It's really cute. Yep. So there's a lot of those, but like, yeah, you fall down a rabbit hole cause you're just like, Oh, what interesting thing is going to happen next? Um, I get a lot of, um, like car guy ones where it's like somebody's car racing around or doing donuts or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's. I think it's because I have a friend who has a. I've had a couple of friends who have had car Instagrams that I've followed. So anyway, I think you're right about that. I get a lot of like um, either photography or like video editing stuff, and I and I follow a, a lot of like street photography um, Instagrammers and stuff. So I'm guessing it must do it based on your, you know, your likes. Yeah, I think so. Well, all of this is a long-winded way of saying I decided at some point. I'm going to do some reels. And it started out when I wanted to flex on the world that I had. My heart is a chainsaw, the Stephen Graham Jones book that's coming out in August. So I did a reel where um, I used one of the very popular songs on, on Instagram or on reels or TikTok, And I, I did a video where I panned down um, to show the, the new, I, and I dropped the book on the floor and, and the timing with the beat and everything. And it didn't get a lot of action, but then we were reading Contortionist Handbook um, for the previous episode, 
And so I wanted to do a reel about that. And I did a reel about that. And it got like in the first two hours, it like 1500 views. And I was like, well, that's it. I've gone viral. (laughs) (laughs) And I just did one today for, uh, for the club Dumas where I was like zooming in and out on pages and the book cover and stuff like these cool, like little transitions between different shots, uh, and set to music. So, um, yeah, that's going to be my thing. I'm just going to be making book reels using like the same songs that all the kids are using for like their, all the, the stuff they think is cool. I kept hoping that when you said you're going to keep doing them, that I'd see you trying to do some really complicated dance, like outside on a street. Like I, I get a lot oh of like walking. Not, not yet. Like yeah. <laughs> it, it starts, it always starts small, Rob. Right. And then you're, you're dancing to like the latest, like, 15 second clip from insert pop star here yeah um I mean, fingers crossed i don't i don't get crazy enough where i'm subjecting people to that kind of stuff but um it, it is fun it's i i like the idea of of doing something beyond just taking a picture of a book and posting it like making it a little bit more animated and interesting so um as if i you know didn't have enough stuff going on with the podcast and, and an actual job and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that, um, the but... latest one, the one for club Dumas, I think it took me about with editing and everything, 10 minutes. So it's not like yeah. it's like a whole day. Yeah, I was going to say the more you do it, I'm sure the quick break right. goes too. And yeah. you have like an idea of what you want to do ahead of time. Um, I've also thought this is really cool. I'm totally, and I'm totally not going to do it. So <laughs> you're just going to do the dances. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. But w- without putting them on reels, I've learned, I've learned, I've learned a lot. So you haven't seen, you haven't seen the moonwalking guy. I don't think I've seen them. I've seen people moonwalk on, yeah. on these things, but I, I don't know if there, I haven't seen a guy. Yeah. There, there's a guy and, and sometimes he has like a girl with him, but they just go and moonwalk at like famous places. So they did a bunch in Vegas that I saw and, and they're, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a little hypnotic watching them. So, uh, moonwalking in 2021, that's exactly what I thought was going to be <laughs> like, like a big thing in my life, you know, 10 years ago, I was like, I wonder right. when moonwalking's coming back. It's gotta be any day now. It took, it took a little longer than I expected. It's, it's here. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that's exactly what we meant to talk about. All right. So yeah, that's true. I just, I was so excited about my latest reel that I had to like, I had to, you know, brag about it but there was so that was burying the lead because like the real brag is um this is kind of weird too so uh Stephen hall we everybody knows is one of our one of our boys that we really like we, i love raw shark text i've probably said it on the podcast all of my devices have named are named after characters from raw shark text blah 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 um so like a couple years ago yeah 2019 in april I posted a picture of a beer I was drinking and it says, no, I don't have a problem. And next to the beer are like six copies of the raw shark texts from like the UK, Canada, United States, and like an advanced reader copy. There's like a whole bunch of copies of raw shark texts. And I posted that almost two years ago now. And, uh, yesterday, Stephen Hall liked the photo and commented this is the correct number of copies of the raw shark texts. And I was like, Ooh, that's so exciting. I was very excited. Um, I kind of freaked out with my girlfriend cause she was, she was hanging out with me and she's in the middle of telling me something and she just sees my face light up and she's like, what? 
And so she got to experience that in real time. Um, and then today he followed me. So yesterday he likes and comments on, a, on my picture and today he followed me. So that's kind of a, a nice moment for me. One of the authors who I really, really enjoy their books um, not only liked and commented on something of mine, but also followed me on Instagram. So um, that's that's my flex. Which uh, I'm a little bit envious of, if I'm being honest. Um, but then when I was listening, you talk about how he liked and commented and today he followed you. I wonder if you're going to have to get some kind of restraining order. Next thing you know, the guy will be trying to get... <laughs> Next thing you know, the guy will be trying to get on this podcast, Rob. Yeah, he's well. That's the thing. Now I'm gonna I'm setting a trap for him because the next reel I make is gonna be raw shark text based. So, yeah, he he'll he'll have no choice but to join us and talk talk on the podcast. Yeah, so um, we're we're working on that. I know we keep dancing around the subject every every other week or so. Um, we're working on it, and we feel pretty confident saying that we think we're gonna be able to bring you an interview with Stephen Hall which is incredibly exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody said, yes, there's just not a date. I think is basically yep. where we're at right now. So yep. we always hedge on that because like th- we've had authors flake on us before um, to their detriment, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. so we're Dead not going to us <laughs> yeah, <they're- laughs> So we're not going to say it's definitely happening until we have basically him on the phone. Um, but very much looking forward to that. Um, I think that's uh, going to wrap it up for this week. We're not sure what's happening next week. We continue to be in the same slump <laughs> that we've been talking about <laughs> for three weeks now as I look through everything that's new, recent, and available for us to read. So King James Bible coming at you next week. That is going to go yeah. as far back in history. Whatever came off the Gutenberg press first or whatever. I, I, really, I really wonder how long it would take to read the Bible. Oh, my God. And, well, and I mean, just yeah. like if you could actually, if it was actually readable, because it's not written in a way that's, that lends itself to prolonged reading, you know, like you can't sit and read the Bible for two and a half hours. At least I don't think you can. No. I can't. Yeah. No, no, I cannot. <laughs> uh, so next week, either the King James version of the Bible or something else. We're not sure what either one of those um, might be. Who knows? Maybe we'll just drag someone in for an interview next week and call it an easy week for ourselves. We'll see. But there will be an episode coming up roughly a week from now. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading.